to a meaningful marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. We are here weekly to discuss the journeys of food entrepreneurs. We're glad that you've joined us today as we connect you to your community. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. Sarah Missoni is out for the week. She um, is making jam with her family from her plum tree, so she won't be joining us today. So it is just me and our very special guest. I am joined in the studio today by Shiny. Shiny is the owner of Scrapberry Farms, self-described as a queer, black, anti-racist, dirty femme, an alchemist, cottage witch, farmer, and herbal happiness maker. One of the best descriptions I have ever read in my life. She (laughs) is also the founder and manager of Come Through Market, a black and indigenous market in Portland, Oregon. Welcome, Shiny. Hi, how's it going? It's going good. I am so glad that you took the time to be with us today and that we can connect you to people. Thanks so much. For sure. Uh, one of the best ways that we can connect you to our listeners is for them to find you online. So where are the best places that people can find you? Um, well, primarily people are going to find me on the gram. So on Instagram, they're going to find the market at Come Through PDX. They're going to find me at Scrapberry Farm. We have a new project going. That's the Black and Brown Herb Exchange, which is at bbhx.pdx. Um, you can find the Farm Collective. Wow, I wear a lot of hats. You sure at, do. Three <laughs> <laughs> seam farmers. Um, and if folks like to see me bumble through parts of life, because I don't actually sail through everything, you can see me being like a digital auntie on TikTok where I don't understand the technology and I fumble around and try to let the youth tell me what the heck is going on. Um, And that's at Scrapberry Farm. Perfect. Well, we will tag all of those things um, in the online presence and on our Instagram so people can can connect to you on all those different levels. Uh, If they want to meet you in person, what is the best way for them to do that? Um, well, you can always find me at the market. So I'm at Come Through Market first and third Mondays, May through October. This year, the market is from three until seven. I also take Scrapberry Farm to Montevilla Farmers Market. So you can find me at Montevilla on fourth Sundays, um, which is mostly the last Sunday of the month. Perfect. Well, I like um, to give the options for both things because some people are on these digital platforms and some people are not. So we will get them to you either way. Uh, I want to start with your journey into farming because that feels like a good place to start. So tell us about Scrapberry Farms, where it is, when you started it, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So Scrapberry Farm... um, 
really is a medicinal herb farm that also has a passion for spicy peppers. Um, And like a lot of medicinal herb farmers and herbalists, my journey begins with my own chronic illness and disability um, and really just working to get some resilience and some harmony going in my own life. I started pursuing herbalism Um, And as I got into herbalism, I learned that there's a lot of unethical herb sourcing happening in the world. So people making beautifully intended products, right? Medicine, food as medicine, getting these things into the world and into their communities to take care of people, but making these things with herbs that they've gotten from all sorts of large corporations that do really, really dodgy stuff. And so... Um, As I started learning about that, it became clear to me that you can't really uncouple these things and keep a certain type of value set at the heart of what you're doing. So as I was learning to work with herbs, I realized that I needed to learn to grow herbs. And so I originally started doing that in my little front yard in North Portland. And the more time I spent doing that, the more the people in my community, my villagers, as I call them, said to me, Shiny, you look and feel really different. Like, what are you doing in the world? Because you seem healthier and happier. You seem shinier. So what's happening? I said, oh, I'm growing plants or mostly killing plants, but I'm trying to grow plants. (laughs) Um, And so it was really like inescapable to me, this proof that something about my life could be radically improved. I kept doing that. And at that time in my life, I was a college professor and a librarian I was living a very different type of lifestyle. I certainly didn't run a farmer's market. I didn't even shop at farmer's markets. (laughs) Um, Like a lot of Black Americans, I thought that farmer's markets were places that were very not for me. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really pursue those environments. And along my journey in herbalism, I started to meet more Black and brown herb nerds and more Black and brown farmers. And I'm really, really grateful that some of the folks on my path pushed me, sometimes very hard, to pursue some farmer training programs. And so I joined a program called Pathways to Farming that at the time was run by a local Black farm called Mudbone Grown and started to learn how to actually grow more plants than I killed. Um, (laughs) That's that's important, an important step to farming. (laughs) Yeah, right. Somewhere you have to reach a conversion from from (laughs) killing the majority of them to growing the majority of them. Um, And so as part of that program, we received access to land. And so I got my very first 50 by 70 plot in Corbett, Oregon, which for folks who are not in the region, you know, is pretty rural. Um, It's very, very white and it's really hilly um, and it's cold. Right. So you have a hilly, windy, cold side of a mountain where you're growing plants in the shortest possible season ever. Like the Corbett growing season is a little over 70 days long. Right. So if you could imagine trying to grow all of your food in under two months, that's a really short period of time, because by the time you've cultivated seedlings to get in the ground, you're well into that 70 day window. Right. And so from a business perspective, that was really cementing for me personally, that food was not going to be a way to marry this thing that was giving me healing 
and an improved, you know, uh, lifestyle with a business. Mm -hmm. So I, I continued to see that for me, herbs were going to be the way. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I've always constructed Scrapberry Farm. As I kept going, I thought, well, okay, now I've grown some herbs and I've made some stuff. Where do you take the stuff? Sure. You know, and that's when I entered the world of farmers markets and learned that is potentially a really scary and intense environment if you don't know what you're doing. And yeah. if you don't understand the regulations and you're trying to navigate the State Department of Agriculture and what they think you should do, and you're navigating for an herbalist, the federal um, the drug administration, you know, so they think that you are making something that is a very dodgy and should be controlled type of substance, you know, and for you, you're like, this is chamomile, like this is, yeah. this is tummy tea from when I'm a kid, you know, so yeah. you're navigating all of these things. And I started to meet more and more farmers and more and more herbalists who were farmers and realized I certainly wasn't alone. And then I'm talking to the food folks, you know, I'm talking to the salsa makers, I'm talking to the folks who just want to sell beautiful zucchini and they're as mystified as I am. You know, and so it turned out that there was a whole swath of black and brown farmers in Portland who didn't know what the heck to do with what they were growing. And then you add in the cultural pieces of farmers markets just feeling so very white and so very upscale. And I just realized there was this huge opportunity. As much as there was tons of ambiguity, there was tons of opportunity. And so that's where Scrapberry Farm and Shiny start to become a market person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So now we know like the beginning history of Scrapberry Farm and then how that brought you into starting the come through market. But there's mm -hmm. also another really key piece in there that I want to add in, which is you writing and being part of the anti-racist farmers market toolkit. Because I'm curious if you had already started running the market first and then were part of this group of leaders to develop this toolkit or did you do that first and then bring it into the come through market yeah so pathways to farming that farmer training program for black and brown folks that i was a part of um, is backed by the oregon food bank and one of the things that comes along with that is that oregon food bank has a variety of micro farm sites. And so the one that's closest to where I live in Northeast Portland um, is a really large site that holds a lot of educational programs. And what that means from a business and marketplace perspective is it's insured up the wahoo. Mm -hmm. I mean, just end to end, very well insured, right? Because you have learning farmers, you have learning gardeners, you have people who are learning to run a food um, endeavor, you have feeding hungry people going on there. And so when you have a farm site that is very well insured, you have a great foundation for a market. So that's where the original come through market was, um, which started in the summer of 2019. So we were a very, very tiny market. I mean, it would have been more fair to say a farm stand. Mm -hmm. um, so we had generally six to 10 vendors on any given market day, and some market days, if I'm honest, we had six to 10 shoppers too, um, you know, so it was really out of the way, not well served by buses, wasn't getting to the black and brown shoppers that I was hoping to bring to meet the black and brown farmers. Um, mm -hmm. But we had opportunity all the same, right? The ability just to put something up 
charge vendors nothing and also not require them to pay for overhead like insurance, um, to pay for booth fees and all of the stuff that you are very familiar with in that type of market Mm -hmm. environment. Um, So I started the market first and then started to really engage with inequity in farmers markets when I tried to get more people to come to it and recognize like, okay, I might have to move the market. And so the reality is after that first year, I thought it was one and done. I thought I had a one year experiment called come through market that didn't work. And in 2020, of course, we all know that the world started to change very radically. Mm -hmm. And so we enter coronavirus, we are in pandemic conditions, I am now an essential worker, right? Because I'm a farmer. So I went from being a college librarian to an essential worker in a very short period of time. Um, And a local food systems related nonprofit called EcoTrust reached out to me and said, hey, Shiny, we have funding to launch a black and brown focused farmer's market do you still have that tiny little market brand you were kicking around at the food bank? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, sure I do. And they said, do you think you would like to relaunch it here at our very large, gorgeous event venue called the red on salmon? (laughs) And I said, well, that would solve a lot of my problems, Mm -hmm. right? It's central. It's served by so much public transit. It's walkable. Um, The only thing happening that's not in our favor is a pandemic. Um, you know, (laughs) so really unexpectedly, we moved to a very large site. We have the ability to scale up drastically. We have a ton of funding, um, and I have the ability now to reach out to all of these growers and makers that I had been meeting in that past year. Um, and so along with the experience of taking the market from six to 10 vendors to, 15 vendors to 24 vendors to 35 vendors um, was the experience of inviting more and more of Portland, more and more of Oregon, more and more of America, and then eventually more of the world Mm -hmm. into our experiences. And that meant that more inequity and more inequality and more oppressive behavior was coming into the marketplace as Mm -hmm. well. You know, we had documentarians come from Sweden to the market, showed up completely out of the blue, wanting to talk to us about racism in Portland and in farmers markets and what that experience was like. So long before there was an anti-racist toolkit for farmers markets, there was just racism in farmers markets Mm -hmm. Um, and me having an increasingly short fuse for tolerating it. So I accidentally built a reputation based on being an outspoken, mouthy, anti-racist farmer's market manager because I was really frustrated. I was Mm -hmm. pissed off. And, you know, it's the summer of 2020, which I refer to as liberation summer. Mm -hmm. So it's the one summer since about the 60s when the general whiteness of America was deeply invested in the lives of black people. Mm -hmm. And it really did last for about three months. And so for three months, everybody wanted to know what I thought about running a black and indigenous farmer's market. Mm -hmm. And so I told them, 
right? I told upscale foodie Portland magazines my mm-hmm. thoughts and feelings about it. I told podcast hosts. I told, you know, journalists. I told book authors, anyone who would listen. I said, let me tell you my feelings about racism and farmers markets. And so eventually folks started coming to me mm-hmm. and saying, well, it's clear you've got more to say. Can we give you an outlet? And that's sort of how someone forwarded um, a request for interest in the Farmers Market Coalition uh, Toolkit Work Group to me. I said, well, mm-hmm. you've got a lot to say and many opinions. Here's a place to take them. And so I was accidentally doing the work at the time when the opportunity to really solidify it and to codify some of those thoughts, feelings, opinions, and growing sense of action into something that could be more easily digested. Mm-hmm. You know, less of a soapbox, more of a program approach. Mm-hmm. And so I like to think that's really what we were able to build with that toolkit. Yeah, you did. You created a usable tool that people can go to and use, I think, of course, not just for farmers markets, but it is specifically for farmers markets. But if people are interested in that information, they can find it. Um, the farmersmarketcoalition.org is where you get it. And it is a resource that is available to anybody, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Shiny, I am glad that you did all of these things and created all of this stuff. You have created tools for the community to use because you were talking about problems and you continued to do that and people um, joined you. They, they, you created a team. Were you part of who created that team of the, um, of the toolkit makers? <laughs> There's about 20 of you, right? Um, we started with a much larger team and then, you know, um, over time as happens, some folks had just too many projects going too many stopgap, you know, food security measures related to COVID to go manage. Um, so we did end up really with much closer to about a dozen people Mm -hmm. really brought that thing all the way to the finish line. I was not a part of selecting the team. Um, So I'm super grateful to Nedra and Sadrina who chaired that group, um, Mm -hmm. who brought the whole team together. Um, And this is a team of people who still talk to each other, you know, weekly, if not some folks daily. Yeah, I love that. That's a wonderful group when you know that um, you can continue to support people. And then in the end, you guys are creating stuff that's supporting many people in the community. And the um, goal of that um, team is, I just wanted, I pulled it off the website, but taking action against systematic racism, creating a safe space at farmers markets nationwide. So everyone go and check that out please. Um, We're going to take a quick break and we will come back and talk about more of what you personally make and have to sell to people in the community. So we'll be right back. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. 
Okay, so we are back and we uh, I really want people to know what you make and ways that you um, can heal them. Because when you talked about your journey, you talk about um, healing yourself uh, as well, your body and a lot of your products as I was going through and checking them out. I tried to come to you at the night market so that I could actually get some and buy some. But I ha- we were like ships passing in the night because yeah. I was doing the farmer's market in the morning and then my friend helped me out at the night market. So I didn't get to actually physically check them out, but I checked them from your website (laughs) and I am in great awe of these things because as a maker and um, knowing lots of farmers, I know that we put our whole selves into our product and it hurts our bodies. So, you know, I put so many lids on at one point, I dislocated my fingertips. I needed your healing medicine and I'm glad that now I have found it. So let's tell people about the products that you make and why you started making them. Yeah. You know, I, I think in a way that that everyone out there who's who's a maker, whether that's things you make for your family or your friends and your community or things you make as a business, you know the challenge of finding balance because as I say, I want to date every plant out there. Um, so like I want to hang out with them and make things from all of them. And also you can't really construct a business or even a useful hobby out of trying to make everything for everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. So it took some work and I finally realized that what I love, what my passion is, what I show up to do, and why I go out into a field in 95 degrees, mm-hmm. um, is that I love to grow plants and make medicine for stressed out, anxious people with heavy hearts, mm-hmm. right? You know, and I love that some people come naturally by their joy. That's beautiful. I wish them so much success in all of that. And also, I don't know how that works, right? (laughs) Like I come naturally by pain and sarcasm and stress. Um, And so I love to be a part of relief for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I love to be a part of people saying, I didn't realize it had stopped hurting right? Mm -hmm. To have that experience, not like, oh, I was so incredibly aware of my experience with your one ounce dropper bottle. But in Mm -hmm. fact, it melded so seamlessly into my life that I forgot I had been struggling is the place that I really, really love to get to um, with, you know, my clients and with the folks who come and see me at markets. Um, So stressed out people with anxiety is what I do really, really well. And, you know, in my head, I am making giant glow-in-the-dark asterisks because the FDA would never want me to tell you that. The FDA mm-hmm. would say that I can't use the word stress or anxiety or any of that. So mm-hmm. you'll find on my website, on my banner, on my products, that it says Scrapberry Farm Herbs and Herb Stuff. Mm-hmm. And people laugh all the time. I'm like, why does it? I'm like, that's legally about the most I can tell you about what I make. Yeah. Um, herbs and herb stuff. Um, you know, so I love to sort of describe the things you find on my table when you get to a market, you know? Mm -hmm. So I bring a lot of wood structures into the market. And I really learned that from Jenny at Wabato Island Farm, that bringing in organic structures makes sense to people when they are shopping for their wellness, Um, Mm -hmm. you know? So not a lot of plastic, not a lot of metal, lots of wood, lots of plants. I have lots of rocks that come to market with me. you know, just so we can be clear about what it is that we're doing here. And so I tell people 
when you're looking at this table with all of these goodies on it, you're going to find things that go on your stressed out and achy body, right? Mm -hmm. So I make a lot of salves. I've got a, a hot muscle rub. I've got a cooling joint and muscle rub for folks who have, um, you know, inflammatory arthritis, folks who are really dealing with joint specific inflammation. I've got antibacterial salves. I've got um, antibacterial, antimicrobial salves that went out to frontline sex workers um, at the start of the pandemic to really support them in doing really essential work without access to appropriate facilities. Mm -hmm. um, I've got the first salve I ever made, which is still called Shiny Stuff because I didn't know how to name a product at the time. And so my friends were tired of hearing me saying, I don't know what it's called. I don't know what to put on a label and take it to a market. Mm -hmm. My friend took a Sharpie and scribbled shiny stuff on it and said, there you go. Keep going. Um, <laughs> you know, and that one is about radically increasing your skin's elasticity. We've got things that we put in our bodies to help with stress and anxiety. I love to make oxymels and an oxymel is an herbal infusion in a raw unfiltered apple cider vinegar and a local honey. So like a tincture, but no alcohol, because alcohol is a tricky relationship for a lot of people. Sure. You know, some folks, it just doesn't make you feel good. And some folks just doesn't work in your life very well. Yeah. Um, so I really like to do that. And then I like to make a variety of things that I say people can take into the world with them to support them wherever they are. So mm -hmm. tea blends that you can take on the go for iced tea, for hot tea, um, herbal smoking blends to help people with respiratory stuff, um, you know, things like that. And then I think the thing that ties it all together for me and my community and my values is that wherever possible, I want to meet people where they are. So it's almost all sliding scale. Mm -hmm. You know, I write a ton of grants. I enjoy a lot of support from the Oregon Food Bank, you know, to just let's get food and medicine to people who need it without getting caught up in white supremacist capitalism. You know, mm -hmm. I want to make money and have a business. Don't get me wrong. And mm -hmm. I think that there's a way that I can do that and also take care of people who need care mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing, you know, where the farm meets the market, where the rubber meets the road, where the values meet the production kitchen is about balancing, sourcing, ethics, pricing, and just getting people what they need when they need it. Yeah. So, and what that means for people, if they're coming and shopping from you, like if they come to the come through market, you are actually giving people your products to heal them. Correct. You don't always yeah. charge people. Yeah. So at, at the come through market, I don't bring the Scrapberry booth because it's just too much too stuff, much. Um, yeah. but we have a free booth. We have an okay. entirely free booth at come through market. It is run by Letty Dogheart of Flying Dogheart Farm. Um, so I often donate tons of herbal products there. Um, usually things where I'm like, here's a bunch of label misprints and I would like to not dislocate my fingertips by redoing all of this. So I'm going to write it off, I'm gonna mm -hmm. donate it over to the free booth. You know, um, everybody is getting what they need. We have free plant starts in there all the time, free medicine, free food. Other vendors will bring a variety of things over as well to contribute. So at any time, folks can come to Come Through Market and just get what they need. 
I love that. And I know we mentioned the come through market, but since we're um, kind of in it now, can you um, walk us through where it is, what time it is, and then what people can expect to find when they come to it? For sure. So come through market is always on Monday and we're the only Monday farmers market in the whole metro region. So there's no choices you have to make about where else you should be getting your veggies on a Monday. Um, We are at the Red on Salmon, which is at 8th and Salmon in close in southeast Portland. We are there from 3 until 7. You will come and find a variety of Black, Brown, and Indigenous vendors. Almost everybody is a new and emerging business. So most of these folks have been at it for really less than two years. Um, Many of them are in that zero to three year range. We have a couple of veteran businesses um, that have been at this for quite a long time. We have um, a great Cajun food cart right by you, run by Theron Mayo, who's been doing this for ages. It's beautiful food. You can get vegan Cajun food. You can get po' boys and get all the things you want there. We've got a black owned pasta company, um, Sodico. We've got the free booth. We've got a farmer training program. So we have at any time eight farm booths with um, new and emerging black and brown farmers bringing their produce. Um, So it's a great place to support other people who are launching. We've got beautiful hot sauce. Um, So we've joined in the hot sauce armada and we've got some great hot sauce vendors um, who are very new at what they're doing and are really cranking out great stuff. Uh, We have a beautiful salsa vendor, the Salsa Wife. Um, House plants have been at um, market many times. The peaches are coming. I want, I know everybody wants to know where's the stone fruit. Yeah. Peaches are coming very soon. We'll have a big frenzy all over social media when the peaches are there. So everybody knows when to come on out. Um, You know, so it's everything you expect to find at any Portland farmer's market with the centering of black indigenous and brown owned businesses. We've got, you know, so much going on. And then we have tons of community partners. So in addition to learning about businesses that are a part of our community, you're also learning about issues that are important in our community because our community booth partners who come and do tabling only are there to talk about causes that center Black, Brown, and Native people. Um, So it's a great place to show up, show out, um, really support businesses, and also partake of this really, really, I think, essential experience. And that's the experience of not being centered, right? So for the majority of Portlanders who are white, um, come to a place where it makes a difference that you're there, not because it was made for you, but because you can be an essential supporter, Mm -hmm. right? Like what an edifying experience in the world Mm -hmm. to learn to move in a different way. And I think that's a big part of what we offer is moving in a different way, you know. And then we also have, because there's never enough, free community yoga on the first market of the month. We always have a DJ, so it's a party. We are adding uh, a brand new chai vendor on Monday. So come on out and get chai for at the market at taking it home. We're adding a brand new boba vendor. So there'll be bubble tea and good times for everybody. I always like to ask our guests what they need from the community, like how we can support you. And so because you are involved in so many different things, just from a market manager standpoint, how can we support Come Through Market? Uh, 
come to the market. Like the, the biggest thing you can do is come to the market. You know, it's after most of us are off work for the day. It's while we're otherwise going to happy hour or we're, you know, laboring down the aisle at the grocery store thinking, gosh, why did I come here with everybody else who just got out of their work day? You know, it's when Portland has traffic now. So, you know, let go of traffic time, come on down, ride your bike, catch a bus, however you get there, really support these businesses and tell other people, right? Because for being the only farmer's market on a Monday, I still meet people every day who are like, I had no idea that this was happening. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's the biggest thing is coming to the market. Um, You know, we do accept SNAP and we offer a $20 match. So we really are here to be accessible to anybody. Mm -hmm. So come out. Great. All right. Everybody that is listening, you heard it. Go support the market. That is what Shiny needs that is what the market needs. You need to come to the market and tell people about the market. As um, a business owner and a farmer, what do you need from us, from your community to help support you in your farm, in your business? Yeah, so I need us to start letting in the idea of herbs. Um, my night market experience was really frustrating and that's rare for a night market vendor. People go Mm -hmm. to the night market because it's very successful. You're going to get a high volume of traffic. Um, and you usually meet a lot of new shoppers. Mm -hmm. And I would say 90% of my night market conversations involved me yelling over a crowd, the words, no, it's not weed. Mm. Um, so letting in that there are all of these ways that we can take care of ourselves and our communities and the people that we care about and starting to get a little bit of education about that, you know, Mm -hmm. start letting in culinary herbs. If that's not a place that you pay attention Um, because culinary herbs are almost all medicinal, right? Mm -hmm. So everything that's in our pantry should be doing double and triple duty for us. So that's what I'm really asking people to do. Whether or not you come and buy an Oxymel from Scrapberry Farm or a tea blend or you get a salve is less important to me than the idea that we start to understand there's a whole other class of wellness providers out there Mm -hmm. um, because there are so many black and brown and native herbalists in Portland right now doing the exact same thing that I do. And so I want people to start having those conversations with your friends and your loved ones. Like, hey, is this something you ever remember that your grandma gave you? Because I promise you that your grandmother practiced herbalism. You know, whether she practiced it with a tea bag from a company at the grocery store or not, your grandma practiced herbalism and she probably practiced it on you if you two had access to one another. So start engaging in storytelling, right? It's not just asking grandma Google, it's actually asking the people in your life, you know, how did we take care of this? What happened when I had a tummy ache as a kid? What did we do for fevers and colds and coughs? Because there's more than over the counter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's um, 
Good knowledge. I didn't, uh, I did see you post that that was your most common response <laughs> at the night market. And if you, as listeners, if you don't follow Shiny on Instagram and these kinds of things, I really think you should because I feel like you put out this knowledge and information that always gets me thinking. Every time that I see you post something, it it stays in my head for a bit because I, I think about it and I, I think about your perspective. And when you said the way that you speak is with sarcasm i don't i don't see that from you i think you are more direct than that like i think that um <laughs> that that sarcasm is usually left for people that are afraid to say what they want to say <clears throat> and i think that that is not you i think that you say the things that you feel when you feel them you put them out there and i think it's wonderful i think it's great to get people really thinking um changing things that they may think Oh, thank you, Sarah. As the as the kids say, I feel so seen. <laughs> <laughs> that is what the kids say these days. Um, well, any I want to open the floor to you. If there's anything that you want to put out there to the listeners, I put out some things that I um, wanted to make sure are in there. But anything that you want people to know and hear and. Um. Let's see. I think that everyone should know, again, that the first part of growing things is killing things. Um, I think that folks should know that gardening, growing plants, growing food is not a leisure time activity that is only the purview of folks who have leisure, right? That is to say, folks who have means, folks who have, um, you know, affluence, because that's what I grew up thinking. I thought that the green thumb was a real thing and that as a person with two visibly brown thumbs, I must be locked out of that. And I want everybody to get just a little tiny piece of what it's like to have a connection with the land that we're on and to have a tiny experience of what it's like to do stewarding, to do care, for something that's so much bigger than yourself. You know, that's the thing I want to leave folks thinking about is that our relationship with the land could be so much stronger. And you can do that with a five gallon bucket on your walk up apartment, um, you know, patio in the window, whatever you've got, you can get a little time going before fire season smoke rolls in. Um, and you've got an herbal remedy or smoke in your apartment already. So that's what I want to leave folks with is go grow something. I promise you it will make you feel better and it will be good for you. Perfect. And if people don't have access to farmland or, um, you know, but they do want to get their hands dirty, they want to help, can they come volunteer with you at your farm? They totally can. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Um, and then we always like to know if we have people who are listening who are thinking about starting a business, it could be a farm business, it could be a um, maker business, whatever it is, do you have any advice for them? I do have advice for them. Uh, my advice for everybody ever who wants to start a business is first, go ahead and do it. We'll we'll right size your goals after that, um, you know. And second, when I say start a business, I mean go to Grandma Google and type something along the lines of Oregon Business Registry, and then I want you to save your pennies until you have a hundred dollars. 
to form a dang LLC. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could be on that soapbox forever, but the short of it is we live in a litigious country where people sue over everything. Children in farmer's markets trip and fall down all the time. I don't want them to trip over your table leg and for that to be the beginning and the end of your business. Mm-hmm. If it turns out later that doing that business was not for you, the most you will have been out was the $100 that was there to protect you from mm-hmm. anything that could have gone wrong. We can put together all the rest of it after that, but let's start there. Perfect. And I wanted to put out there that you do um, consultation. And if people want to use that service, they can find information on your website about what you can provide, what you can chat about, what you charge. So that is there as well for people to know about. And Shiny, I just want to finally ask, do you have any events you want to promote, places people can come find you in the here and now? Anything you want to put out there? Um, Come and see me at Montevilla. I've been a little okay. lonely. So you'll see me okay. fourth Sundays at Montevilla. And then I will always post on Instagram when I pick up one off markets. Perfect. So everyone, you know where to find Shiny. Now you know to connect with her. Let's um, be a community together. Find Shiny at all of these places. I want to thank you for your time today and giving it to us so we can help share your story. You've been a great guest. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Sarah. We record Masonian Marshall every week. You can find us on your favorite pod- podcast platform like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can send us a message on our Instagram, Masonian Marshall, and we will be back next week. Thanks for joining, everybody. Bye. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of Meaningful Marketplace. As a family-owned organ grocer for 42 years, Market of Choice strives to inspire, mentor, and assist a diverse group of local producers and foster equity in our communities. With 11 stores in Oregon, Market of Choice supports these craft makers, as well as farmers, fisher folk, and ranchers by bringing more than 7,000 local products to market. Together, we form a sustainable, community-based food system that serves our great state. To learn more, go to marketofchoice.com. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.